Welcome! You found the Out of the Ordinary podcast. I'm Christy Purifoy. And I'm Lisa Jo Baker. This is the podcast where we believe that the very best stories grow out of the soil of ordinary life. A few of my favorite ordinary things are homemade chai tea, gingerbread everything, and Christmas picture books. And a few of my favorite ordinary things are holiday leftovers. Christmas movies and candles, candles, candles on every surface of the house. A bonus ordinary favorite this holiday season is our special bonus podcast episode available the first week of December. Lisa Joe and I have compiled our list of top 10 Christmas books each. When you curl up with a hot cup of Christmas to drink this season, these are the books you want keeping you company. Because this is a deep dive into our favorite Christmas-themed books, including novels, cookbooks, mysteries, picture books for the kids, faith reads, fiction, and poetry. 20 books total will be featured in this bonus episode that includes read-alouds from our favorite passages and the reasons why we think these books will be good company in this season. Plus a printable list of all 20 featured books. You can take it to the library this winter season for your easy reading pleasure. To download the bonus episode, go to outoftheordinarypodcast.com slash bonus or click through the link in our show notes where it'll be available for a small bonus cost. Because this is a special bonus episode, it won't automatically show up in your podcast app. So take a second right now, click through the link in our show notes to make sure you get our top 10 Christmas books bonus episode, or go to outoftheordinarypodcast.com slash bonus. Curious about what you'll be getting? Let's eavesdrop together for a second. As you walk into environments this season that are wonderful and meaningful and beautiful and sometimes can be fraught with landmines. So I just encourage anybody to take a look at this. It's kind of like going in for a check-in, like a car. Like you're driving home for Christmas. You're going to get that car checked out before you do the long road trip. Might as well do the same for your soul. And mine is marked up and dog-eared and I cannot recommend it enough. Lisa Joy, I would have never imagined that book showing up on a Christmas Top 10, but it's it's perfect. It's perfect. And I'm sitting here. I've heard about that book for years. It's come highly recommended to me by many people. And I have never, I may have even checked it out of the library at one point. And you know, sometimes it happens, you check out too many things yeah. at once and you don't get to it and you end up having to turn it in. So I have never actually read it, but actually you've spoken to a struggle I've had just this week. Welcome back to part two of our three-part series. This is Two Hard Holidays and a Holy Night. And Lisa Joe, we're back here this week. Uh, It's December. We have um, begun our Advent journey toward Christmas, and we're going to sit with some more hard stories this week. But you and I just realized um, just in our few minutes of conversation before launching into this that our definition of hard might be different. And that's probably true for our listeners as well, that what is hard for one doesn't bother the other or, you know, so for instance, I know being lonely at the holidays is a hard thing for you, but whenever you say the word lonely, I hear solitude and it sounds marvelous. (laughs) (laughs) No, 
because before we got on, Christy said to me, you know, I don't know that I really have any memories of a hard Christmas. And I said, wait, what? What? Are you a cyborg? Like, how is that possible? <laughs> what do you mean? And then we realized we understand what is hard differently. So yeah, for me, hard, I think most of my Christmas memories are tinged with a sense of loneliness, of being away from family, or if you're with family, it can feel hard because there's that person losing their temper, and here's this person who is unhappy or dissatisfied with the gift you shopped for hours. And (laughs) I think part of it too is the Enneagram 2 in me that's Mm. so relational, so I define my level of joy or happiness are special for the season based on how other people are experiencing it. And so there's often just low-grade sadness Mm. always for me um, at the holidays, which sounds so depressing (laughs) when I say it out loud. But I am curious because you have, when we were talking back and forth, you were describing differently. It's true. And I realize it the Enneagram is maybe another way to access that difference. So I live out more as a four, Um, which is just really relishing in specialness and uniqueness and beauty. And so Christmas, even if for whatever reason, it's not a great Christmas, not the best ever, it's still Christmas. It's still special. It's still not like any other time of year. So even if lots of things feel difficult, there's still a Christmas tree in the house, hopefully. There's still Christmas cookies to eat. There are still holiday lights strung around the city or whatever it is. And so I think, yeah, I think as a four, it's not as if all of my Christmases have been amazing. It's not as if I don't have any hard memories. I do. And actually, we'll tell some of those stories today. But overall, they aren't they aren't times in my life um, marked by that same yeah, that same really hard sense that you have. And I think it is because it is a sacred time of year. It's a set apart time of year. And that for me is enough to get me pretty far, I guess, <laughs> even so if you, I have, you know, loneliness or other things that you're right. you're talking about. So I'm about. so curious for you, that sacredness, because I feel it too, mm. how there is this sacred ground we walk into when Christmas comes along. And I think that's part of why I get disappointed because... Mm there can be a subtraction happen for me from that sacredness by my annoying children who fight while we're trying to have a meaningful Advent reading. And then Mm -hmm. I tend to be an all or nothing person. Now Mm -hmm. you've ruined it. Like it's not special anymore. You have sucked the special out of it. And so that is so interesting to me. Do you ever find that the special that just is because it's Christmas can be diminished by the experience you're having with other people? Or is it so set apart that the people can't diminish it for you? Wow, that's such a great question. I've never considered that. And I think I'm just processing this out loud here. (laughs) I think my appreciation of the specialness is so, I experience it so deep inside. It's that, yeah, other people can't touch it easily. They can, absolutely. If my children explode in a fight and it just really feels like the atmosphere in our home is not good. Absolutely. That will affect how I feel about our Advent devotional time. Absolutely. And yet, I don't know. I'm also, here's the fourness, pretty comfortable with authentic emotion. And so if the emotion in our house is negative, I I can sit with that. It doesn't necessarily touch the sacredness and the magic and the beauty for me in the same way that I think it would for you. So it does, but yeah, not to the same extent. I think I can still hold on to the fact that, wow, those lights are really beautiful. Even if I also have some sadness, I I can sit there. That's powerful for me. You know, I think that is going to help me as I head into this holiday season. 
it's interesting how the lens through which we see the world we assume is the lens with Mm -hmm. a capital T. And it isn't, of course. There are different ways to experience the world. And your lens, I think, will help me as I head into this holiday season because I've always assumed everybody Mm -hmm. feels disappointed or defeated because the specialness that should be Christmas got imploded by the people who live (laughs) in the world with us. And one of my favorite Christian authors, Adrian Plass, always says, it would be so much easier to be a Christian if it weren't for other people. So he must be a two. (laughs) Because I always feel like other people are wrecking my experience of special sacred Christmas. And I just thought everybody experienced it that way. But how wonderful to think, wait a minute, Christmas itself can stand apart from how the family reacts or doesn't react or Mm -hmm. the Christmas presents we do or don't get or Mm -hmm. how the pie burns or doesn't burn, Mm -hmm. that there's something set apart about what Christmas means. And I really like that you say authentic emotion, as long as it's authentic, Mm -hmm. doesn't have to detract from that. And I grew up in a world where um, it did. Mm -hmm. It just did. And I really, that's, I'm going to hold on to that, Christy, especially as I tell my story today about my hard, really one of my hardest Christmases ever. Oh my gosh, even thinking about it makes me want to cry a little bit. Oh no. (laughs) And it wasn't just because of other people. Ironically, in the story, other people were really loving to me and trying to create a special moment for me, but the Christmas was just hard. Mm -hmm. We, at the time, it really follows on from my story last week where we, where I shared about my first Thanksgiving, which was my freshman year of college. And it was a hard slash beautiful experience that there too were people trying to make it beautiful for me, trying to give it as a gift to me. And I recognize that the gift of other human beings who are going out of their way to love you through something hard. (laughs) So you can have hard and you can have good and they can coexist. And especially here in the holiday season. Yeah. So for me, that Christmas, my first year in America away from home, My father could not afford to fly me home for Christmas. It was too much money. It was too far. And once again, there I was not sure what I was going to do with myself for the holidays. And I had only had a few months under my belt and they weren't enough for someone to say, come to California with me, you know, from the East Coast or come and spend a whole week and a half with me for Christmas because Christmas break is, you know, more than a week. It's not like come home for the weekend. I didn't know people well enough yet to be invited home for Christmas and just blithely assumed something would work out. I had no idea what that something would be, but trusting that somehow God would meet me. And I had been part, a very small part in a play that our college had put on that year. I had a tiny little role. And the girl who played the main role, she was a junior or a senior in college, so way ahead of me. And I think more secure in just who she was as a person. And she took pity on this poor, lonely South African who had nowhere to go for Christmas and asked me what I was doing. And I said, I don't know. I'm not sure what I'll do. Maybe I'll end up staying at the dorm. I'm not sure. And she said, well, you should come over to our house because they were local. So we lived, I went to Gordon College, which is on the East Coast in Massachusetts. And there's a little town called Beverly. Um, and actually, there, there's Beverly and Beverly Farms. It's so precious. It's like out of a picture book. And they invited me to come and spend Christmas with them. And so Christmas Eve, I remember I was, I feel like house sitting for somebody in the area. There was like an apartment I was staying at. And then Christmas Day, they invited me to come and spend Christmas with them. And it was cold, which made me feel sad. 
the mm-hmm. opposite of you. Mm-hmm. Um, it was starting to snow, but sort of that snow that's just sort of ice, like kind of spitting ice. And in South Africa, Christmas Eve is when the magic happens. Christmas Eve is when the whole family's together. Christmas Eve is when my Dutch grandparents growing up would clip their live candles to the tree that mm. we've talked about. You know, Christmas Eve was the tradition of we would always bake this fruit cake that would have coins wrapped in foil baked into the batter so you'd get a slice of cake with your coins. Christmas Eve was carols. Christmas Eve was the Bible story. Christmas Eve was all the magic. And I spent that Christmas Eve alone in this apartment. And I knew that I had been invited to Christmas Day and I wanted to buy gifts for the family who had invited me. And I had very limited money. I was far from home. I went into this picturesque Christmas store that is like out of every Hallmark movie. You know, the little bell that went off as you went in. And the (laughs) windows were frosted because there was real snow coming. And inside it smelled like a winter wonderland. And there were beautiful ornaments and cards and gifts. And I had my tiny little budget. And I wandered the aisles for a long time of this. It wasn't a big department store. It wasn't a mall. It was this local little store. And the reason I went went there and not to the mall to find you know cheaper gifts is I didn't have a car and here I was stranded in this little tiny town so I could walk I walked to the store and they were going to pick me up the next day for Christmas day and I was just loving it savoring the smells of the cinnamon candle they had burning and picking out these precious gifts and I chose I feel like you know a beautiful mug and a card and a few other little stocking stuffers. And I went to the cash register. I was so delighted to get them. I was high on Christmas spirit. I felt like I was in a movie. You know, here I am living my own Hallmark movie. And they wrapped everything for me. And then because we were in this precious little small town store and not in a big department store, they wrapped everything for me in a brown paper bag. I remember them giving me the paper bag, a sack, right? A paper sack. And thinking, oh, like how sweet is this? And not the kind you carry with handles, but like more like a lunch bag, right? But a bigger version of it. And they rolled the top down and it was scrunchy and lovely. And I held it in my hands and I went out into the street And a big gust of wind came and there was all this cold spitting snow and icy streets. And I started making my way back to the apartment where I'm staying. And as I'm crossing the road at a traffic light, a big gust of wind comes and I kid you not, the bottom drops out of this bag and every gift I have bought shatters in the crosswalk. Not like on the sidewalk, like right there in the light of all these cars waiting to ride over me to take people home to their cozy (sighs) families. There is me scrabbling on the ground, like trying to pick up the pieces of the mug and the ornament and the card I bought had blown away. And like the glass trinkets I had bought were shat everything. Like I was so filled with despair. Like my sadness was so profound. I had shards of Christmas on the ground (laughs) that I was trying to scoop up and the stupid non-romantic brown paper bag that was just like shredded and useless. Like, give me a good plastic bag from here on out. And I start crying in the middle of the road. I walk back across the street and I'm standing there. I don't have money. I don't have money to buy more gifts. And I just feel my sense of complete aloneness. Like there's Mm. no parent I can call It's like one o'clock in the morning, South Africa time. There's no more money. There's no one to say, laugh with me and like make me hot chocolate or 
pick me up early and bring me over for Christmas Eve. There's nobody. Like I have nobody to call. And I go back into that shop and the bell now sounds annoying as I go through the door (laughs) and I feel righteous outrage. I go back in and I show them their bag. I'm like, your bag ripped. Everything I bought broke. I start crying and telling them how I don't have money (laughs) to buy more presents and how it's the fault of their bag. (laughs) And God bless the store owner who just like they should in a movie said to me, oh, I'm so sorry. Just go and pick out what it was. Like, go get it again. And I did. I went and picked out the same things. And I even went and got a new card because I justified it that the stupid card had blown away and then got ridden over. It had tire marks (laughs) from a person who drove over it. And so I picked out everything again. They gave me a paper bag or they uh, I mean, a plastic bag or they double bagged it. I can't remember. And I just, I didn't just trust holding the handles. Mm. I like held it in my arms, made my way back to this dark apartment, went upstairs and was so sad. I remember I called my dad and please, dear listeners, recall with me that in that time in 1994, there was no Skype. There's no FaceTime. There's no Voxer app. There's no free way to call South Africa. I had an actual calling card that I had to use, or I had to call and reverse the charges. Mm -hmm. Have you ever done that? Do you remember doing that? Vaguely. I called my father at the equivalent of 2 a.m. South African time, and I heard him answer, and I heard the operator say, you have a collect call from Beverly, Massachusetts. Do you accept? Which is essentially like saying, will you pay a small fortune for this phone call at two in the morning? And I heard my dad, I heard the first words out of his mouth, my darling, are you okay? And I just started crying about how (laughs) all these gifts I bought broke, how there was no one to get me, how I was completely alone. And he sat on the phone with me at two in the morning and poured me the verbal equivalent of hot chocolate. Like he loved me. He empathized. He railed against paper bags. (laughs) (laughs) He said I should get more money, that he would wire me more money if I needed it to buy myself a present. I had no expectation of this family I was going home to buying me anything. I didn't know them very well. It wasn't a close friend. And my dad sat with me in the dark and loved me. And the next day they picked me up and I went over to their house. And I knew so little about them. But what I came to learn, Christy, and this is the power of being willing to love people in the holidays who you might not know well, they were recovering. It was their first holiday alone. So there was a mom and two college-aged children. And what I came to learn about them is that they had had a very abusive father mm-hmm. who'd been dangerous. They'd had physical abuse. And this was their first year. They had finally had a restraining order in place and he had been removed. And here they were alone, delighting in their Christmas. And they'd invited me. And they didn't have a lot of money either, but they had presents for me. I could cry just thinking about it because their generosity was so lovely. I gave them my gifts (laughs) from the store. I did not tell them the story about how it was the second version of what I had bought them. (laughs) And they had purchased for me um, this really cute little corduroy coat that she had got me from the Salvation Army, from the Salvation Army store. And I wore it. I remember it was so cute, so trendy. And they had also purchased for me a teddy bear. And he had, I remember it vividly, he had this little green sweater with um, a Christmas tree on it and like a face lotion and some hand cream and this teddy bear. And there was something about that. I remember nothing else about that day. I don't remember what we ate. I don't remember how long I stayed there. I don't remember what I did the rest of the holidays. 
I remember that day of being in their house and having these gifts that I gave them and then receiving gifts I didn't expect to receive. And here is the most interesting part. Fast forward 25, 30 years since then, and my daughter sleeps every night with the same teddy bear, and she has named him Mr. Cuddles, and she sleeps with him. He doesn't have the sweater anymore, but it is the same bear that was given to me in Beverly, Massachusetts wow. <laughs> all of those years ago from a family on what was one of my hardest, loneliest Christmases, and yet, in the middle of the hard, I am so profoundly aware of the Jesus with me mm-hmm. that that night, that shop owner who let me pick out again, my dad who sat on the phone with me, the friends who brought me into their own hard first Christmas, into their own awkward and uncomfortable and difficult. And yet, what I remember is receiving that jacket, that corduroy jacket that I wore for the next four years, and that bear that my daughter still sleeps with and named Mr. Cuddles. Well, Lisa Joe, you can see what our listeners can't see. <laughs> I mean, your story just brought me to tears. I could, I've got to move on and not just dissolve in a puddle here, but I wanted so desperately as you were telling it for it to be a movie and for some handsome prince to like come and rescue you in the middle (laughs) there as you cross the street. That would be the moment. I want to rewrite the story. I want to make it different, but maybe what we need more than a rescuer who swoops into the middle and pulls us right out of it is someone who walks with us and is close to us as we walk all the way through the story so that you can arrive at the moment where you share that precious Christmas with that family and you receive, what did you say, Mr. Cuddles? Mr. Cuddles. You know, I wanted to, as you were telling it, I wanted to rescue you in the middle and extract you from that horror. But then, yeah, there'd be no Mr. Cuddles for Zoe today. So I don't know. I'm, I need to sit with that a while, I think, because so often what I want in the middle of the hard thing is just rescue, like get me out of here. And I think we are, we do have a rescuer. We are safe. But it doesn't always feel like the escape hatch we want it to be. So I don't know. I'll be honest. I don't have that kind of hard. You know, we open this conversation talking about different versions of hard. And so my hard will sound not so hard, right? But it it was... It was hard for me. It's kind of a two-part story, and it involves my in-laws, so I just have to give the caveat to say (laughs) I am blessed with the most precious um, in-laws in the world. So although the story involves them, I can say they did nothing wrong, and I hold no anger or frustration or bitterness about this first Christmas as um, a married woman in their family. Because I look back and I just see a young woman who didn't really understand herself very well and didn't understand that I had this need for a very special Christmas. And so I couldn't speak up about that need and I couldn't explain it to my new husband or my in-laws. And so when that need wasn't met, it wasn't anyone's fault. If anything, it was my fault, but I couldn't have known, right? So my, I really, it was my first... Jonathan and I married young. So that's part of the story too, is that I was young and it was one of my first Christmases not with my parents and my siblings on Christmas morning. Um, So I was with my husband's family and 
their traditions were just different. And so what it meant that first Christmas morning, just as you were saying that Christmas Eve was the time for you, right? That was um, not the special time here in the U.S. so that you weren't invited over for Christmas Eve. You were invited for Christmas Day, which was our special time. Um, But you were missing what to you was supposed to be like the time of connection and relationship. So for me, Christmas morning was where it was at. That was, you know, waking up to presents and gifts and surprises and cinnamon rolls and um, all of it. Christmas morning, staying in your pajamas, um, being together, playing with your new toys and enjoying your new gifts. But this particular Christmas, the plan was that my husband's extended family would all gather and they would gather in the home of my new parents-in-law. So they would gather Christmas day afternoon which meant that I think as a family, we celebrated a little bit more on Christmas Eve. We exchanged some gifts. And then Christmas morning really was about um, preparing the house to get ready for all the family who would come. And at the last minute, when it turned out that I think my father-in-law was going to drive to pick someone up a few hours away, maybe it was my brother-in-law, my husband, um, excited, understandably, to be back with his family, said, oh, I'll keep you company in the morning. I'll drive with you. And so before I even woke up on Christmas morning, my husband had left with his father to drive to pick up this family member. And I, I don't remember exactly how I spent the morning, but I do remember being without my husband, without my family. And standing at an ironing board, ironing our napkins for Christmas dinner. So hard (laughs) and sad. Oh, it was. It was very sad. (laughs) I was very sad. And again, it was no one's fault. I can look back and see exactly how it happened. It was a very reasonable thing. We had exchanged gifts the day before. We were waiting for family to come. We had a special celebration in the afternoon. It all makes sense. No one, I think, involved could have predicted (laughs) how devastated I would be standing at that ironing board. And of course, oh my goodness, young married couples, bless them. I'm sure I was building up all kinds of resentment toward my poor sweet young husband who couldn't know. (laughs) I don't actually remember now if we talked about it later or not. But again, now today, it's so far in the past, I hold no um, bitterness toward anyone. I I remember almost that young woman as a very different person. She's so, so far from me, but I do remember her sadness (laughs) at that ironing board. But that's the first part. And I want to tell this second half. Fast forward, oh my goodness, 15 years later, Uh, Jonathan and I are living in Florida with our three children. As I've shared, that was not a place I felt at home. And while we celebrated our first Christmas in Florida there in our home, and I'll say this as well, that celebrating Christmas, once I had children of my own, celebrating Christmas in my home with my children was always very important to me. I felt as if I just wanted so much that primary role of creating the Christmas for them and to do it in my home. So we we had always, almost always just stayed at home for Christmas, um, and we did that our first year in Florida. And then our second year uh, for Christmas in Florida, and again, keep in mind from last week's conversation, our listeners might remember that what does Christy want for Christmas? She wants winter. She wants <laughs> snow. She wants cold. And here I am in Northern Florida. But that Christmas or that season, my in-laws invited us to bring the kids, and I think they even bought us tickets, and they said, you can come spend Christmas with us in Texas. Same home I had been in 15 years before ironing the napkins. 
And I remember as soon as they made that invitation, leaping on it as the, re- the rescue, <laughs> there's that word again, the rescue I needed because I didn't want to spend another Christmas in that place that felt so much not like home, where I felt so at odds with my environment for many reasons. If Christmas meant home and making home special, Florida didn't feel special enough to me. And I felt at that point as if it never could. And I just wanted to leave. I wanted to move. And so the thought of spending Christmas in their home in Texas that year was such a relief. It would have never been my first choice because, of course, I love being at home. But I felt at that time as if I had no home or not the home that that felt right to me. And so that invitation was a great gift that year. And it continues to be a precious memory. The kids had so much fun at their grandparents. I still just treasure the picture. Um, My mother-in-law made it into a refrigerator magnet for me. And it's the three little ones in front of her fireplace holding their stockings. They're so little. Little Bo is just not much more than a baby. And it's been on my refrigerator for years as a memory of, of a great Christmas even though I can look at that picture and see all of the heart around it of that season in Florida. But that's the second half, I think, of that whole story is the gift, really, of Christmases with my in-laws. And by using that word in-laws, I mean the gift of a Christmas in someone else's home where we just were needy, right? I was this young newlywed who was so needy, who had these needs around the season that I could not even articulate at that time. And in many ways, they weren't they weren't met. But you know what? In not meeting them, I learned so much about myself. <laughs> I actually know, I think I can remember having, having conversations with Jonathan. I don't know if it was immediately or in years after where I said to him, wow, I really learned that I need Christmas to be special. And we can't just schedule the special like, oh, we'll do the special thing the day before, or we'll do it later in the afternoon. I I need Christmas morning to be special. (laughs) That's a need I have. And I was able to articulate that because of what I learned, you know, in that harder day. So two parts of one hard of being in places where I didn't want to be, where Christmas wasn't unfolding the way I wanted it to unfold. Um, And yet I think with the you know, looking back with distance, all I see is just how much I learned, how I grew through those experiences. And I think what happened ultimately is that the story I'll tell next week, <laughs> the holy night, so much of what makes it holy and precious and glorious and the best gift from above is that it very much hasn't been that way every year. <laughs> mm. You know, it has not been that way every year. I have leaned into the ache and the longing and the hurt in other years. And I think because I did that, it's almost like it hollows out a place in you. It carves out space in you so that when the truly great thing comes along, like you have room for it and you have room for the fullness of it. You're not just thinking, oh, this is nice. This is lovely. Great. This is a happy Christmas. But (laughs) some space has been just like carved out of your heart. And now there is room for something that is beyond good, but is just deeply good, deeply precious. And that's the story I'll tell next week. Mm. You know, I love that you talk about how this idea of 
it wasn't what you were expecting, right? That mm-hmm. we have these expectations around Christmas, which really is very biblical because Israel was not expecting a God to show up in a manger. It was not what they expected. And and frankly, it was not what they wanted. Right? Like That was not what they wanted. They wanted wow, this yeah. warrior king to come and be born into a palace. That's why the wise men showed up at Herod's palace. That's where they mm-hmm. thought a king should arrive. From the very beginning, the expectations of Christmas have not been what people thought they would be. People have been disappointed from the beginning. From the beginning. And I think (laughs) I'm learning that today, that I think the tinge of sadness that comes with the season is almost a spiritual thing. It's almost like entering into the experience of the world that thought God would show up one way when he came a different way. He came in the back door. He came into a barn. He came with the lowly. He came in the least special way he could possibly come. It was as if he set out to upend all expectations on purpose. And it's so that the girl in the crosswalk, (laughs) scraping Mm -hmm. up her broken Christmas, and the girl at the ironing board, that (laughs) those two women could know Jesus knows what that's like. He's with us. And I think we've been conditioned by society, by our Hallmark movies, who say there's someone going to sweep you off your feet on a white horse and rescue you. Mm-hmm. That's what Israel thought was coming. They yeah. thought there was a prince coming in to rescue them out of the oppression of the Roman Empire, out of their misery, out Mm -hmm. of their lowliness. And instead, God showed up and said, I'm going to sit with you in the crosswalk. Mm -hmm. I'm going to stand with you at the ironing board. I'm (laughs) going to move into the neighborhood with you. How wonderful. Like, thank goodness. Thank goodness. Because what do we do with those hard stories if we don't have a God who enters into them with us? And it's why we show up to share these stories with you guys, because mm-hmm. we know that you on the other side, listening, really here sitting at the table with us, you have your hard moments this season, and you have your holy moments, and mm-hmm. both of them are held by this God of ours, who I'm so grateful, isn't afraid of those moments, and deliberately, deliberately came to be with us in them. I just, my, my mind is actually blown right now. I feel like I'm revisiting my uh, my own history through mm-hmm. a completely different lens. Mm-hmm. You know what, Lisa Jo, too? I'm thinking about this podcast and our conversations and our focus on ordinary life and especially the, the soil of ordinary life, like the ground of our lives and thinking how rescue doesn't, we're not pulled out of that. As you said, we're not rescued out. Like we are somehow rescued in mm-hmm. we are we are planted more deeply in it in a way that is so good and it but it isn't what we think we want we think we want out we want the exit and it isn't that way there it's better though it is better we are planted more deeply we are rooted more deeply in the things that are good and are just ordinary regular lives and relationships um but it does wow it's it's you're right. It ha- it's been that way from the beginning. It hasn't been what we expect or necessarily want, but it is a good gift. I think if we are focused on an out, it implies that what we have is somehow not good enough and it should be trashed. It's mm-hmm. It was a waste. It was a mistake. Mm-hmm. Like that Christmas of mine, that was wasted. That was, was broken and a mistake. And I just want to mm-hmm. put it out of my mind and move on. And I think we 
we can look at the world that way, right? It's broken and it's wasted and it's hard and painful. But we have a God who says, you don't have to wait till you get to heaven. You don't have to hmm. wait until things are perfect. Instead, wow. he comes to say the kingdom of heaven is now. And he comes into the broken and he is a God who is so gifted. He isn't interested in just complete do-overs. He doesn't want to scrap everything. He wants to come into it with us and then redeem it, which truly means to put it back together in a new way, mm. to create mm. such beauty and such meaning and such growth, such abundance out of the brokenness by being in it with us. And it's a gift I'm going to carry with me this season that I don't have to worry now about people somehow messing up <laughs> what mm -hmm. I think Christmas should be like. Instead, I can focus on the God who says, no, no, I'm just going to come be here in the mess with you. I'm going to be authentic with you in these hard moments, and the tree will be beautiful, and the lights will be pretty, and I will be with you in in it. I'll just and that he's he's comfortable in my messy, not always perfect Christmas. And you know the mess like that it makes good soil. The hard mm. it may, if we allow it, it can make really good soil. And then what grows out of that soil is all kinds of beautiful fruit. And I think the stories we'll tell next week are some of those really good, precious things that have grown out of this hard, messy soil. Oh, I can't wait now <laughs> till next <laughs> week. The conclusion of our three-part series, Two Hard Holidays and a Holy Night. And I'll just say here at the end of today's conversation, though, there is more for you. If you haven't yet, we're so delighted to say that now available everywhere for a small download cost is our special bonus out of the Ordinary Podcast episode, which many times today I had to censor myself from referencing because in this episode, we share our top 10 Christmas reads. So you get 20 books and it includes fiction and faith and kids books and cookbooks. And I have kept wanting to reference quotes from those books because there are some that actually speak to this, this journeying of a God into the hard to make it holy for us and with us. So if you haven't yet, go to our show notes now, click at the link and download for yourself this bonus episode. It's an hour of us sharing our deep dive into our top 10 Christmas reads. And so we were surprised we don't actually have overlap. So you get 20 books and you can take the list to your local library and have some really good company here in this season as you sit in your hard and in your holy too. Remember, this is a special bonus episode, so it won't automatically show up in your podcast app. Instead, click the link in our show notes or go to outoftheordinarypodcast.com slash bonus. Bonus.